a follower of Jesus. It's the most important thing in my life. The most healing, healthy thing for the human brain is a belief in God and prayer. Okay, I wanted you to know just a little bit about me personally and kind of where I'm coming from, okay? Uh, my story starts with my mom. My mom was told, my mom and dad were told after my mom had my oldest brother, Mrs. Lloyd, don't ever get pregnant again because you have this medical condition uh, and if you do, it will kill you. Not maybe, it will kill you. So do not have any more children. You've got two beautiful, healthy children. Enjoy them, but don't get pregnant again. And so my mom and dad, as you would think, took precautions. I'm told, okay, told that one of their precautions was abstinence. Okay, just they were so you know, diligent about not wanting mom's life to be put in jeopardy, okay? So when uh, six years later, my mom turns up to be pregnant with me, I'm told, she just couldn't believe it. I mean, this is impossible. We've, we've taken steps. This is not possible. But nevertheless, she was pregnant. The doctors immediately told her, uh, abort the baby. Now, back then, abortion was illegal unless it, unless it was a situation like this, where the mother's life was on the line, and that's what this was. So the, the doctors immediately said, okay, that's not good, and it's going to cause you some big problems, but we'll abort the baby, and you'll live. And my mom said, I would rather die. I'm not aborting this baby. I'm going to have this baby. Okay. So that's the first time she saved my life. And try to put yourself in her shoes from that until the day of my birth when every day she's thinking, okay, I've got eight months to live. I've got six months to live. I've got two months to live. I've got a week to live. But then on the other side, her love for me, who she was giving her life for, knowing that she would never see me, never hold her in her arms, never any of that, okay? She would miss my whole life, all right? So, and she's told me some of this uh, as I've talked to her about this situation when I grew up that every day she was feeling the full extreme from 100% love for me that was really more intense than she had felt about her other children because of the situation of never seeing me. And then on the other end, extreme fear, I've got a week to live and then my life is over. Okay? And all of those hormones, all of those thoughts, feelings were coming through to me as the fetus. We know that now. They didn't know that then necessarily, but we know that now. Okay, so I'm born. I was supposed to be born on July 4th, 
they they kept my mother from having me um, medically because my dad was out of town working until he could get back in town and I was born on July the 7th. I was a healthy eight pound something boy and miracle of miracles, my mother did not die. In fact, she really didn't have any significant medical problem at all except the normal recovery from a C-section. Okay, so, and the doctors couldn't believe it. They said, this is impossible. You should be dead on the, on the table. But anyway, she didn't die. But I started dying. And before long, I was in intensive care. I dropped down from eight pounds to, I think they told me, like five pounds. And um, they didn't know what was wrong. But I kept losing weight. And finally, what they figured out is when they would feed me, I was taking in the entire bottle, but spitting out the entire bottle. So they kept feeding me, and I kept losing massive weight and was getting close to the point of death. And once they figured out what I was doing, they still couldn't stop it. They couldn't get me to swallow any food, liquid or solid, anything. Okay? And um, so anyway, my mom comes into the hospital, goes into intensive care, unplugs all the stuff, picks me up and starts walking out of the hospital. They stopped her, of course, said, you can't do this. You take that baby out of this hospital and he'll die for sure. He's close to death now. My mom said, he will die if he stays here. And I'm taking him home so that he won't die. And they made her sign the... uh, papers and all that. And then she took me home and set up with me 24 hours a day, singing to me, uh, stroking my face, telling me how much she loved me. You've got to imagine how happy she was. Not only uh, did she love me and I was here now, but she had not died and was not, in fact, was feeling good reasonably. So she sits up 24 hours a day until I finally started swallowing some of the food. Um, I believe, I don't know, but I believe I had been programmed to die on July 7th. For nine months when my mom thought uh, she was going to die at birth, she didn't think Phyllis Lloyd is going to die at birth. She thought, I'm going to die at birth. So the thought and feeling that came through to me as the baby inside her, I'm going to die on July whatever. And so when that day came, I was programmed. And so I started dying. Okay? Until my mom finally got me to start to eat and saved my life for the second time. Well, try to imagine a a fetus instead of just having normal everyday thoughts and feelings coming into the baby inside the mom. 
Every day, it's the extreme of 100% love, 100% fear. Total, total panic and terror and extreme intense love. Anyway, I was born, and the only way I know to describe it is with a turned up feeler. Okay? When I was three and four years old, I would see my mom and go over to her and say, Mom, you look worried about something. And she would look at me like, how did you know I was worried? I'd, I'd go over to my dad. Hey, dad, you seem a little uh, upset about something, a little angry about something. My mom and dad would have friends over to our house or we'd be at church or somewhere public. And at four and five years old, my parents would be talking to people that were strangers to me. And after... After we went home, I would come up to one of my mom, to my mom or dad, and say, "Did you know Mrs. Jones is uh, is really, really terrified about something? She's really scared about something that's going to happen in her life." And and again, my parents would look at me like I was crazy. But then, very often, not too long later they would find out she had been going through something and actually at the time we spoke she was terrified of something that was going to happen that either did or didn't. Well that happened all the time and it's like uh, whoever I was around I, I knew what they were feeling like I was feeling it and for a while, I thought everybody was that way. Then I realized they weren't, and I felt sort of like a freak. It wasn't something I liked at first, because I thought, what's wrong with me? Other people don't feel these things. Why am I feeling them? And if you ever watch the movie Monk, the, the te television show Monk, he used to say all the time, it's a blessing and a curse. And that's kind of how I felt, okay? Uh, my life was pretty idyllic until I started school. Uh, my dad was my best friend. We, he played with me all the time. We lived in this little small town where all the doors were unlocked. Uh, by the time I was seven, eight, nine, my parents would let me walk around town. All the other parents did too. It was extremely safe. I had some good... Fr I mean, it, it was just... I can't remember any real negative things, except a couple of times I got physically injured. But as far as my family, the environment, all the social stuff, it was pretty idyllic. Then I started to school and everything did a 180. Okay, I flunked kindergarten, I flunked third grade. Uh, I've been told you can't flunk kindergarten. Well, I did. I was absolutely last academically in my high school class, all right? At one point, I think it was in junior high, the principal called my parents in. Um, no, I think it was just my mom. And um, in the parents' words, she called my mom in just to encourage her. And she said, uh, we, just want, we just don't want you to worry about Alex too much. He's a lovely boy, we all like him, and we want you to know we all believe that he can learn a trade and, and be able to make a living. Uh, we don't want you to be worried about that. Well, of course, they were saying that because I was 
making the worst grades in the school and flunking a number of classes and, and things like that. They didn't know at that time I was dyslexic, ADHD, you know, extremely so, all of those things. And, uh, but my mom saw another side of that, you know, when the principal called her in, you know, Alex can learn a trade. She saw another side of me that she thought maybe they didn't see at school, so she kind of demanded that they test me, okay? And I think we'd had some tests, but maybe it was the wrong kind or something. And, but anyway, she pretty much demanded that they test me, and they did. Well, before the testing, everyone had been so kind and nice to me. I mean, even the teachers where I was failing the class were really nice to me. I found out later it's because they thought I was really dumb and unintelligent and I just couldn't do any better, okay? Well, they called my mom back, back in after the testing and said, um, Alex has the third highest IQ that we are aware of in the history of the school. Uh, number one uh, became a renowned neurosurgeon. Number two became a literal rocket scientist who worked at NASA. And I was number three. <laughs> um, which is really crazy, don't you think? Okay. Uh, the two ahead of me never made a B in elementary school, high school, college, doctoral, never made a B, all right? Uh, I made maybe one or two A's all the way through college. Now, I did really well in graduate school. I learned how to study in ways that kind of match my brain, but up through undergraduate, um, Mostly C's, D's, few B's, few F's, okay? And um, when I, it, and, and so then, then it, it was terrible because after the testing, then everybody started being mean to me where they were nice to me before. Now they were like, you're not trying hard enough, okay? I was. I was trying as hard as I could try. I just, my brain just worked differently, okay? When I went on to graduate school, I still didn't, I still didn't know the reasons for this stuff. You know, they say I've got this high IQ and, and all that stuff. And by the way, I don't put a lot of stock in IQ test, but I'm just telling you my story. But it still didn't make a lot of sense to me why supposedly I have this high IQ, but I don't make straight A's. In fact, I almost can't make an A in, in classes up until graduate school. But anyway, I got out, started working, went back to graduate school and did um, real well. I was in the honor society in graduate school, um, uh, honor roll. Uh, I, think the only, I think the only B's I made in uh, master's and doctoral was statistics. I think everything else was an A. But anyway, my doctoral advisor and the head of my dissertation committee 
was one of the nicest men I've ever known. And he came to me, he asked me to come into his office one day and he said, Alex, I've been watching you and there's something about you that's unusual. I said, okay, well, is that, is that a nice way of saying bad or, you, you know, he said, no, no, no. In fact, it may be good, but there's something I think about you that's unusual. And this was sort of a expertise of his. And so he asked, can I test you? And I said, sure, that's fine. So I came in one day and took some very unusual tests that I had never taken before. Um, I don't know if he came up with them himself or, or what. But anyway, he called me back into his office and he said, um, it, it's what I suspected. He said, you have the highest spatial IQ I've ever seen in like 40 years of testing people. Well, spatial IQ, if you don't know what that is, or, or, or spatial thinking versus linear. Linear is like a McDonald's drive through Okay, I want a number one with a Coke. All right, number one is uh, a Big Mac with a medium fry and a medium Coke. He wants a Coke. It's $5. That's it. That's linear. All right. Spatial is you can order anything off the menu. You can get a Big Mac with whatever you want or whatever you don't want, any size fries, any drink, a dessert. You can get yeah, I mean, it's open to anything. You've heard of out of the box. It's kind of out of the box, okay? Uh, anything is possible rather than one plus one equals two. Uh, if you want to think of it in terms of energy, it's kind of a quantum mechanics versus regular physics or mathematics, that kind of thing. But anyway, that explained a lot for me because I would know these things that, that I didn't have concrete evidence to know about other people, okay? But on real, real linear and detail things, I, I, I was almost dumb. Uh, trying to do it, trying to understand it, but just doesn't seem to compute. But yet I know things that other people don't know, and I don't seem to have evidence to know. All right? Well, over the years, I think I've learned to turn that into a strength, and I use it a lot in my work with people and um, in uh, my prayer and study, trying to discern these spiritual laws of nature and how they practically apply and, and that sort of thing. So I wanted you to know this little bit about me and my idiosyncrasies and my, you know, my junk and my stuff that maybe I'm pretty good at, I, I wanted you to know if you care about that. And I do, if it's somebody that I'm listening to. So um, it all boils down to I'm a pretty weird duck. But um, I believe my job is not to convert anybody it's to love you. No matter who you are, what color your skin, no matter what your situation, my job's to love you. Period. And whatever comes from that 
I'll be okay with and I'll leave that result up to God. So um, I hope that makes sense and um, have a wonderful, blessed day.